Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Criminally Mental Podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. My name is Cody, or Schizophrenic Hippie, the man with many voices. My name is Zach Galloway, or also known as the main character of the podcast. And here is our friend of the show, the host of the ETN Network, Dead Man. Welcome to the Criminally Mental Podcast, where we talk about mental health and the criminal justice system with your two hosts, Cody Green and Zach Galloway, currently both on parole and compassionate release. Now, here's the show. God, his voice is okay. When I was on his show, like I did his podcast, legitimately half the time he would ask me questions, I was just too distracted by his voice. I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, definitely. And then I kind of played it off. I think it's so funny that literally before we came in here, I told Jess you were going to say something about his voice right after we played that clip. But you're absolutely right. His voice is amazing. And shout out again to him for doing that for us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we're definitely still not going to pay you, but thanks for it. (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, Anyways. Thanks, Thanks for being a team player. Thanks for being a team player. So we have some kind of cool news for all of our followers. We have merch available. So we were going to. That's right. Yeah, we were going to run you guys through our merch lineup and just kind of explain the website so you guys know how to get to it. And here we are. So this is our Spreadshirt website. And you'll see here. Cody, 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 I'm going to have to stop you. Before, Before we go into this, it's really important that everybody knows that basically all of these profits go to a super good cause, and that's mainly me and Cody. <laughs> Nobody yeah. else benefits from this. So literally the best cause. Literally, the best funding, cause. literally funding a schizophrenic felon and a felon. <laughs> yeah. So keep that in mind if you're thinking about buying stuff. So anyway, continue, sir. Yes, if you're feeling generous, um, it does say here that all merch products have been rated five stars by Cody's Hallucinations and Zach's old cellmates. Um, So we have plenty of really cool options on here. We have shirts, hat, coffee mugs. I think there's pajamas in there, tie-dye shirts. And we just ended up using our original logo, which turned out better than I thought it was going to. I was impressed by it. I think this stuff looks really cool. Like, there's there's some striped pajamas on it. Uh, I mean, like, there's some there's actually some legitimately cool things on there. If you're like me, and if you're like a certified gym douche, you're gonna get the, the sleeveless ones. I know I'm gonna rock that. If you're like Cody, and you're very ashamed of your body for good reasons, you're gonna get the hoodie. So that's uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's good good <laughs> yeah. options all around, really. And I want to argue, but here I am sitting in a fucking hoodie. So. <laughs> All right. It so, only yeah, hurts because it's true. That's usually what makes it hurt. That's why the roasts are so intense. But honestly, um, I I need to get back to roasting you. I haven't released a roast in a few days, but I've been really building up for this next one. Oh, you've been working on a roast, really? You've been sitting at home, putting out some little construction cones, the roast in progress. Yep, on? yep. Uh, your boyfriend's been helping me with some of it. You know, we're we're getting some information put together, some pictures. You know, I'm really looking forward to forward to it. So, see, you can do that all you want. I've already got a backlog of pictures from you. I mean, that the one that you know the picture I'm talking about. 
involves handcuffs. That one, that one's coming out. I, it's already in my drafts. It is ready. No. It's in the chamber. The bullet, the bullet is in the chamber, ready to go. So I'm, I'm fine with that. But more importantly, you sir are are, are dangerously close on TikTok. You're almost to 400k followers. You're at yep. uh, 390 right now, right? And you just made a video saying that if you get to 400k before the new year, I get to. I get to I get to decide what you got to do, right? That, yes, you know I, mean? I did make that, and then immediately regret it. But I did say that if I hit four hundred thousand before the start of the new year, that you could decide how I have to celebrate it. There's so many options here, <laughs> so very many options. And if you if you were listening to this, no doubt you were here because you follow mainly me because I have considerably better than Cody. But if you could do me a personal favor and just go to his TikTok and follow, you can drop him after New Year. Drop Cody after New Year by all means. I'm fine with that. But if we can get him to 400,000 K so I can decide what he has to do, because, oh, it's going to be just perfect. I'm all right. For it. Well, I am legitimately scared and a little bit excited too. You're a creative guy. So even though the roasts and all that get a little dicey, it's always cool to see how creative and how much of a dick you can be all in one shot, you know? Well, let's be let's be real here. You haven't even seen my final form yet. So it's gonna it can't get real real quick. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so other than that, we are going to be working in some mental health people coming up. I am really interested to talk a little bit about addiction because I know that's something me and you have both struggled with and talked about pretty openly on our social media. Um, and our guest today also, I know, has struggled with addiction and is excited to talk about that a little bit. So I think the cool thing, well, not the cool thing, but well, one of the things about addiction as a topic is basically everyone's everyone is affected by it in one way or another. Everyone's either dealt with it themselves or has a family member or a friend who has dealt with addiction. And it's one of those topics that there's so many different opinions on, uh, just as far as treatment, you know, how, how it's looked at, how it's received in the criminal justice and how we treat people with addictions. There's a lot of different, and there's a lot of new laws going on right now that are altering how we look at addiction and, you know, uh, prosecuting people who suffer from addiction. So there's a lot to, lot to dive into there. So yeah, absolutely. I'm excited for it. Very well, because even uh, Oregon, they uh, decriminalized all drugs. Isn't that what just happened in Oregon this last year? So this is a really interesting time to talk about addiction and Talk about more how we deal with addiction, how we look at addiction, how we diagnose addiction. And um, I'm really excited to see how that kind of stuff goes. And especially with some of the really awesome guests that we have on and some of the people we're looking at bringing on in the future, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm really, we're trying to get um, Jesus Christ uh, on the show. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that's, uh, um, I've written several letters, and they all start out the very same way. Uh, Yo, dog. Sorry about that. Oh, uh, and, uh, so, <laughs> and there went half of our Christian followers. <laughs> oh yeah. So now we only have two left. Besides, yeah. I think JC knows I'm kidding. For sure, but no, I I am really excited, and I'm really excited for our guest tonight too. Um, sitting in our uh, background here, we have Jessica Kent, 
And Zach, do you want to talk a little bit about her? Or, you know, since I do everything on the show, should I talk about her? Um, how do you want to do that? <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about it. I think the, the coolest thing about her, okay, for, so you know, prison TikTok fell on TikTok. I mean, you're on it as well. I mean, obviously not the level that most relevant people are, but um, there's a lot of people doing the same kind of content out there. And uh, the first time she showed up on my uh, on my For You page, I kind of had that like, oh, it's it's another prison TikToker. You know, I've seen enough of this. But I, you know, once you really listen to her story, it's a very original, and unique story, and she has a lot to share. Uh, and you know, I've been excited about uh, following more of her content. I've gotten more and more into it. So this is really exciting that she agreed to be on the show, despite you being a co-host. Because uh, let's be fair, she's heard about you. So yeah. Uh, that yeah, that is that is Jessica Kent. Yeah, and um, speaking of that, she asked who to be on her podcast. Was it you? I can't remember. Oh, oh, that was me. That's right. Anyways, um, we are really excited to have Jessica on with us today, and I'm really looking forward to learning about the differences between. I, I mean, we did talk a little bit about it in the background there, but about the differences that, you know, women deal with when incarcerated versus men. And I know the one thing I want to ask her about is like dealing with pregnancy through prison, which to me is a astronomically insane thing. And I know Zach yeah. doesn't have anything prepared, but I'm sure he'll think of some good things on the spot. Oh, I'm at a coffee. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yes, exactly. Thank you for that. So without any further ado, thank you so much and welcome. Jessica, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I love you both, despite this, you know, bromance rivalry <laughs> that you'll have. Love you both. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're really excited. And I know um, early on when we started this podcast, you might have been one of the most tagged people in all of our videos. And when you were first getting tagged, I think you were only at like 100,000 followers and you just hit 400,000 a few days ago, didn't you? Yeah, so I haven't really been on TikTok that long. I've only been uploading my story for like two months or so. So crazy that it just blew up. And TikTok is a different world. It's a scary world. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of hate it's over there. It's a little terrifying. A little terrifying, no doubt about that. Jay Fizzle. It's catching on. <laughs> but yeah, so um, TikTok is a weird world, man, but I love it. And um, I'm so grateful that it just blew up. You know, I've gone viral a lot on TikTok for like random shit. I just thought I would go viral maybe for like the prison baby thing. But then I went viral for many other reasons. So I, I honestly don't think I can even take credit for it. I feel like prison is just so interesting that people are just watching. So they, yes, they're following me, but it's also because it's just interesting. And it's like this weird, obscure world. So I just, I can't take credit for my following. Well, you that's, are that's really, a valid point. you are really unique. Oh, sorry, like, yeah, sorry. There's a little bit of a delay with you there, Zach, but um, you are really unique. You know, you do have an interesting perspective. You have a lot of interesting stories. Um, whereas when it comes to prison TikTok, that is mostly the reason people follow Zach. Um, but, <laughs> but it is really cool to like watch the videos and you're very well spoken too. So I'm, I'm excited to see how much your page grows. And like you said, TikTok is a pretty scary place, but it's given like all of us, I would say, um, interesting people, a really big platform to be able to talk about stuff like this. So 
Yeah, absolutely. And for, for, the, for those of us, uh, or for those of listeners out there who don't know you from your SoundCloud rapper career or from your off-Broadway musical stuff, why don't you, uh, <laughs> you kind of did this already, but say a little bit about yourself. What do you do on TikTok? You know, what sort of content are you? Tell us about Jessica. <clears throat> well, despite Broadway and my rapper named Jay Fizzle, of course. Um, <laughs> so I am a YouTuber first. I have should calm down. I have a YouTube channel um, and I talk about all that stuff, prison, addiction, mental health, my crazy life story because I've lived like 10 lives. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in correctional program support services and I'm writing an autobiography. I have a podcast. I'm super freaking busy and I'm a mom of two. So basically I'm telling you in a nutshell that I don't sleep. I gave that up cold turkey and it's aging me. <laughs> Sleeping okay. overrated. Yeah, That's for sure. True. Now, Cody, if you're paying attention, this is somebody who actually creates content. This is what they sound like. So maybe write this down. Hmm? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm like known as like the CEO of Schizophrenia on TikTok and you're just another prison TikToker. So when it comes to original content, I don't know if I'm the one you should be coming at here, bro, but I do appreciate the poor attempt at a roast there. Um, <laughs> can I jump in? All right. I am so intrigued by your brain, Cody. And I just, I can't wait to have you on the podcast and to pick your brain. I love mental health. I love psychology. And just to understand schizophrenia, I think you're doing amazing work. You're going to make people feel less alone or you, you are making people feel less alone because these are topics that I don't think were really mainstream 10 years ago, you know, and a lot of people felt as though, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I felt completely alone in my own mental health. I suffer from PTSD, depression, anxiety, insomnia, which is a giant bag of fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I couldn't imagine also struggling with schizophrenia. And I just think you're so brave for sharing that. And I think you're incredible for bringing awareness to something that most people don't really understand. That is so nice of you to say. And I will just let you know. Yeah. After <laughs> Jessica, Jessica, Jay Fickle, darling, I don't know if you know how this show works, but there's some things that we don't say here. Uh, you know those signs, you know those signs in the park, you like, do not feed the birds. Don't uh, don't humor the hallucinations. You know what I'm talking about? Don't that's, humor that's all I gotta say. Don't humor the hallucinations is one of my new favorite catchphrases. That was awesome. I love that. Uh, that's going to be a new hashtag. But honestly, I thank you. I really do appreciate that. I just want you to know that because of that, Zach is definitely not going to invite you back to the podcast. You were way too nice to me just now. <laughs> so we're going to get the most that's out of this fact. episode. That's a real fact. Oh, you did. But Damn honestly, um, no, mental health is something that, you know, and schizophrenia, I think, is like prison where it's so talked to, like it's a taboo type topic. And I think that's why all three of us have had success on platforms like TikTok, because, yes, I've been incarcerated. I have the felony, but I don't have as many stories in that aspect as I do with my schizophrenia, which is really how I developed online. And so. I really appreciate you saying all those nice things before Zach continues to roast me for the next half hour. <laughs> okay, I'll yeah, stop trying on, to be so nice. I, I would like to come hold back on, on the podcast, so I'll, I'm done being nice to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Maybe, I'll make sure. We'll do, we'll, do a little, we'll do a little prep work next time. And, uh, <laughs> I down some ground rules. <laughs> some ground rules. 
<laughs> but um, my first question for you, and I'm sure this is one, like I, I know that me and Zach get sick of certain questions over and over again. And I know you've talked about this a lot, but could you walk us through what it was like um, with dealing with a pregnancy and having a child while in prison. And you can talk also about like the differences between that you've heard between like our stories as men in prison versus what you dealt with personally as a woman in prison. But. Okay. If I ramble for too long, just like jump in and cut me off. Cause I could talk about this forever. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I was born on a rainy night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus. That scared me. I legitimately worried me real quick. I was like, oh God. Jokes. Okay. So I was arrested uh, when I was three weeks pregnant and I had no idea. And I found out after I sobered up, I don't know if like another inmate put a kite in to go to medical or if I asked you, I was so out of my mind. Um, at that time, I was at the time of my arrest, I was 90 pounds, a meth addict, very, very sick. I um, almost died three days prior because the father of my unborn child at this point put a gun to my face and was going to kill me. So when I went to jail, it was almost like a relief. You know, I was almost just like, fuck it. Who cares? We're going to burn this down. You know what I mean? I was on this self-destructive path and I had no cares or worries in the world. It was just um, I was also on the run from New York at the time. So it's like, fine, fuck it. You caught me. Good job, Crime Stoppers. And I was just so aggressive about it. Um, and then a few weeks in, I found out I was pregnant and I was in complete denial. I was like, this nurse is dumb. You got the wrong one. <laughs> definitely, not, definitely not pregnant. Not me. Uh, definitely not going to happen. Not having a baby. And then um, I started to get fatter. <laughs> And I still, I didn't want to believe it because I know how to go to prison. I don't know how to go to prison pregnant. Like who goes to prison pregnant? This is crazy. So I tried to block it out of my mind. I was fighting a case. My charges were possession of meth with intent to deliver, simultaneous possession of drugs and a firearm. And then after not cooperating with them, uh, they slid a new charge under my door and that was delivery of meth as well. So here I am in Arkansas, which I couldn't even point out on a map because I'm a New Yorker. I'm like, I don't even know where I am. Uh, they wouldn't give me legal material. And I was absolutely terrified because people were coming in and telling me like, oh, you're going to get 20 years. Uh, you're going to get 30 years, but it doesn't really mean 30 years. It means like a third of your time. And I'm also pregnant. <laughs> so I am hormonal and terrified and scared. And I don't know. I don't know what to do, you know? Um, to fast forward a little bit, I was sentenced to five years with 15 suspended and 40 years exposure. I go to prison. And at that time I was about six months pregnant. Now there is a baby that has to be born. Um, and a caseworker came in and talked to me. I had no family in the state of Arkansas. I'm from New York and my family, um, suffers from this thing called, you know, poverty. <laughs> so, <laughs> they couldn't like go to Arkansas and like fight this case because it's very expensive to do so. So I knew that my daughter was going to end up in foster care. And I tried to prepare myself mentally for that, but I don't think that you can really prepare um, for having your first child while chained to a bed and then giving it away two days later. You know, it was, it was ultimately what caused my PTSD I wasn't able to talk after my daughter was born for a couple of weeks and they kept me in the prison infirmary 
Now, I had never been kept in the infirmary before. I had always just gone for like little medical visits. But to be held there, it just felt like it felt like I was I was in solitary confinement, basically, you know, and that's, that that's, was that's actually something, that's something I wanted to talk to you about because uh, I've, I've also been to I've been to the infirmary and a lot of people don't realize what healthcare is like in prison and what the reality of that is. You know, you don't get shit. You get nothing. You get nothing. I mean, where I was was basically a mat on the floor. What was it like? like what was your postnatal care uh, in prison, in the prison infirmary? Like, what was that like? I want to know about that. <clears throat> That's a really good question. Um, just to back up a little <laughs> bit. Um, <laughs> so I uh, was chained to a bed, and the correctional officers in the um, in the hospital they were told like, you need to get up and walk around by the doctors, you know? So get up and walk around, go to the bathroom, do normal things after you have a baby. Well, the correctional officers felt as though if I walked around the room that I was in in the hospital, that that was a security risk. They denied that. They also did not like to unchain me to go to the bathroom. And so essentially after you have a baby, you're supposed to get up and walk around to help the healing process. That was denied. That was just against protocol and I wasn't allowed to. So after giving birth to my first child, I was chained to a bed for two days. And uh, I went back to the prison and this is where like my memory, there's like flashes of it because of PTSD and trauma. I don't remember every single thing. I have like little moments where I remember. I remember the guards asking me certain questions like if I was okay, um, what my DIN or what my ADC number was. And I couldn't even get that out. Like you're an inmate, you know your number. You know, you know, your number like the back of your hand, like that is your, that's your identity. I couldn't even tell them my own number. So they denied the hospital bag they gave me. So hospital underwear and pads and cleaning supplies. They wouldn't let me have those. And I was just in the infirmary, which is a cell with a little bed and, um, and that's it, basically a toilet and a sink. So it's like a solitary confinement cell, but in the infirmary, which means you're being watched. So they come by every 15 minutes and they watch you. Now, because it wasn't suicide watch, I did have my uniform and I wasn't in like a Velcro thing, but um, yeah. I, I just felt broken. Like it was just so hard and I could not imagine getting over that, you know? And then after a couple of weeks of that, of just being quiet and not talking and not sleeping and not eating and just feeling like I'm dead, like I felt like I died. After two weeks of that, I woke up one morning and I was like, get the fuck out of this bed. What are you doing? You can't be here. Like you have to fight for that little girl. Get out of this. Get out of this bed. Tell them you're okay. Go back to GP, and and figure it out. So I did just that, and I signed up for every class I could possibly imagine. You know everything from thinking errors to parenting class, which was it sounds good on paper, but it's basically you just go there and they check a little box that says that you're there. You know what I mean? I didn't learn anything from those classes, but I knew it looked good in my jacket. So yeah, the infirmary mm. was torture. It was just like solitary. I prefer solitary to the infirmary. I mean, I've done my time in the hole and I've done my time in the infirmary. The the difference about your time in the hole and infirmary is infirmary, they check on you like every 15 or 20, whatever their their route is. That's it. Like there's nothing more. Like they legit forgot to feed me when I was in the infirmary. I can't I can't even fathom what that would be like as a new mother giving up your child and then and, and having to go to an infirmary cell. I, I really, I just don't have uh, a frame of reference for that. 
thank you for sharing that story. I mean, that's that's a that's a terrible thing to have to go through, but it's very brave of you to do and to share to share it with us. And we really appreciate that. You know, I think that thank you for that. Um, but I think it had to be that traumatizing for me to get my attention, honestly. Not that I think this is okay to do to any other woman, and I'm fighting for reform so it doesn't happen to women anymore. Um, but for me, this is what set the flame inside of me to fight for prison reform. You know, this is what has kept me grounded and fighting to get custody of my daughter, which I now have, um, was the first thing that I ever did that was positive. You know, I was a drug dealer and a drug user and I was a very violent, aggressive person. But after having her and fighting to be her mom and winning, that was the first good thing I have ever done in my life. You know, so if it wasn't for that little girl, you wouldn't know my name. I wouldn't be on this podcast and I probably would be dead. Something that I think we all kind of have to walk the line with, like those of us who want prison reform, and it was like, especially with what me and Cody do on the show, is like every week we get so many people that say like, well, it worked for you, right? So the system can't be that bad. It's like, it's not, that's not what we're trying to say here. Like prison can be something that can be about rehabilitation. You know, just because, yeah, it got our attention does not mean it worked by any definition. We're not saying this is... I mean, like, I feel like I have to walk that line, Cody. I'm sure you feel the same way. I mean. Yeah. Well, and Jess, I mean, Jess said something really good there. You were almost traumatized into doing better and that shouldn't have to be the case. So my exact moment incarcerated where I realized that I needed help was I spent 48 hours in solitary confinement as an unmedicated schizophrenic. And that was the longest, scariest 48 hours. I don't think I slept a minute of that. And yes, it's only 48 hours, but as an undiagnosed schizophrenic with nothing but a wall to look at, like I, no one should have to like go through such trauma just to be able to get their life back on track. Um, and I'm a huge advocate for like uh, reform, reform versus punishment. Like we need to be better at reforming people, helping people get the opportunities they need because all we're doing right now is creating a huge system of recidivism. I said the word, right? I fucking said it. You right. Did. It's a hard word. I'm proud of you. For, I'm, proud of you for that. I'm proud of you actually. Good job. I, I practice that word a lot. Um, <laughs> no but um, no, I really do think, you know, if we worked harder at helping people have those opportunities and not have to be traumatized. Cause like, I think us three, Colin Ray, there are exceptions to it, but all of us have something big that happened or several traumatizing events that made us do better. There's plenty of people who have those same traumatizing events, but it doesn't help them at all. If anything, it can lead to suicide, addiction, depression. You know, it can lead to all these other things. So just because it worked for I mean, us doesn't mean it'll work for everyone either. I mean, I'm a great example of that because un unlike you guys, it, you know, like I, actually, I don't know about you guys. Was this your first bit you did or... I mean, no. Yeah. So we're kind of the same boat. Like the first bit I did just made me harder, man. Like the people I was working for, like they were saying, like, we don't really even consider you legit until you've done a little bit of time in law school, which is what they refer to, you know, lock up the prison. So I mean it, it will eventually change people or most likely it's gonna kill them. And I'm not willing for that to be the you know, the error ratio of either yeah. it's gonna work or it's gonna kill them. You know, it's gotta be something. I do just wanna jump in here and say that prison does not get credit for my sobriety or my success. The thing that prison ends up doing is um, it isolates addicts and the mentally ill. 
So over half of all incarcerated citizens are serving time on a nonviolent drug offense, and almost all are suffering from mental illness. And the thing is, when we continue to isolate those with a mental illness and a drug addiction, it makes it so much harder to get our lives together. We just keep putting obstacles in people's way. And even without being labeled as a felon, it's hard as hell to get out of addiction and to be mentally healthy and to be stable. And, you know, if we just focus on rehabilitation, helping people figure out what caused an addiction, figuring out if it's a mental illness, then we can freaking start to help them. I mean, who would you rather live next door to? Traumatized old Jessica that was selling drugs and guns and anything she'd get her hands on and would probably punch you in the face if you looked at her sideways? Or do you want to live next door to somebody who's rehabilitated, healthy, and sober? You know, so a lot of people want to complain about the cost of prison, but they're very unwilling to have any kind of serious conversation about changing the system. They just say, don't break the law. But it's like, okay, you're telling somebody with mental illness and a drug addiction not to break the law. That's not the answer. It's far more complex than that. You know, so we need to start um, just we need a complete overhaul of the prison system. Yeah. And I love that whole Zach knows the very first episode, I said, I will say this probably a thousand times. There are more people in jail and prison in need of a psychiatric facility or rehab clinic than actual criminals. And that bothers me so much because obviously, as someone who is very mentally ill and has struggled with addiction, Telling people that are mentally ill and struggling with addiction not to break the law is nearly impossible because it's it just kind of comes with what you're doing. As a mentally ill person that was using drugs to cope, any activity I was doing throughout the day, whether it was trying to buy drugs, talking to someone who was selling drugs at a house where there was drugs all around, you know, it's like everything I did was a crime. And I don't think I hurt anyone except, you know, myself, obviously. And it's like I got put in jail for an addiction and mental health issue and was treated like a horrible person who had murdered someone. And then all that did was, you know, all that did was crush me for a long time. And eventually I did flip it around, but. I think one of the problems with addiction and the way that we, we handle it in the system. And I mean, Jessica, I'm sure you, it sounds, it sounds like we have some similar stories. You know, I was, I was with an organization with, manufacturing and selling and that sort of thing is you eventually defeat your habit. You have to do so many ancillary crimes. You never would have been associated with them. Like when I was just a junkie, you know, before my first bit, before I first got arrested, all that sort of thing. Like I wasn't a violent person at all, but eventually when that addiction, addiction got so unchecked to a point where I had to do something to feed that habit, everybody and anybody was my victim. You know, I had someone willing to put a bag in my hand as long as I went out and I did whatever I had to do for them that day. And that's, that is where unchecked, untreated addiction leads to. And the way we're treating it now would say, okay, we're going to lock them up with who? Criminals who have been doing it longer than them who are just going to educate them on how to be a better criminal? Yeah, that sounds like a great treatment plan. Uh, this does not seem like that a model that would work. Yeah, so, yeah. you know I, I honestly, I honestly never thought about fighting for prison reform when I was first getting locked up. It didn't matter to me. It was like a little vacation. Oh, I don't have to sell dope. Cool. I'll just sleep all day. I did not care. I was using drugs while I was getting locked up when I was, you know, young, 18, 19, 20, 23. <clears throat> um, I didn't care at all. 
And, you know, for me, I just thought I was kind of a badass. Like who, who gives a shit that I'm going to, you know, prison for a year, six months, 90 days. It doesn't matter, you know? And I ran from my problems and at the core of my issue was depression, anxiety, and then drug addiction. I took my first sip of alcohol at like 12 because I'm a socially awkward, weird person and I felt good. Alcohol just made me feel good because I don't make serotonin. Like it's not my fault that my brain chemistry sucks, <laughs> but I would see other people like drinking and partying and having a good time and then they would like stop and like go to school and shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, whoa, this is weird that you're just living without a substance. I could not understand them. I was resentful and bitter that I felt like in my own skin, I didn't feel comfortable. That's not something that I should be punished for. With that being said though, I did deserve prison <laughs> because I was a drug dealer. Um, so I definitely deserve to go to prison. And you know, my, my sobriety came at, at such a time where I was either going to die or get sober. And I think that's the case with a lot of addicts, you know? Um, if I wasn't a mother, if I didn't go to prison pregnant, I just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gotten sober, but you know, along the way, there was a million different times where people could have stepped in and helped me, but they saw me as a drug dealer first, a menace to society, a horrible person. And I was always treated as such. And when you're told that every day, you kind of take on that role. You're not shit. You're a junkie. You're a piece of shit. You're a fucking criminal. Don't break the law. Fuck you, felon. When you're told that every day that you're nothing, you start to believe that you're nothing. And that's why we need prison reform. You know, it, you've been to prison, Zach. So you know, like all of the talent and the creativity and the wisdom and the intelligence behind those walls. Like, you know how creative these people are. If we can harness their skill set for them to be entrepreneurs or literally anything, I mean, we'd have an amazing group of very talented felons out there. <laughs> That's that's such a that's such a good point. I mean, we were talking about this the other uh, last week on the show with Colin. I mean, it's like when you take people. Who, I mean, Colin is isn't an addict. He's really just a douchebag. Um, <laughs> but uh, as far as everyone else, like you know, everyone in this room, especially like you remove the thickness of untreated addiction from the equation, and suddenly you got three people who collectively we you know reach a million people a day. Uh, that's something that a very small percent of people get to say, will ever be able to say. So there's got to be something there. If I mean, there has to be a treatment and a way to harness it because otherwise it's just another thing that we're wasting. And that, that can't be good. Can't, can't go on. When you say the number, I get nervous and I start sweating and I'm like, is it that many? <laughs> Not the podcast. It is weird, right? <laughs> yeah, no, all of us. Yeah. 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 But no, it's, I also wanted to ask you about, um, cause we were talking before we started the show and I asked you, um, when it comes to COs, when, you know, men go to prison or jail, it's mostly men COs. So I asked you, because I was curious, is it mostly men or women? And your response kind of shocked me. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's mostly men. Um, and I know that seems strange, but it just is. I, I, it's probably like 10 to one, you know, I did not see a lot of female correctional officers in a female prison. Um, you know, here's, here's the crazy thing. In the last prison that I was at, there was a men's unit right across the street. And when, when correctional officers would get beat up by the men, they'd come over and get transferred to the female side and they would take that aggression out on us. 
And if they found out that like your boyfriend or your husband or whatever the case is across the street, they're even more aggressive with you. Um, so I've been patted down by men. Men have watched me shower. If I can see you, you can see me, bro. You know, so that was super uncomfortable. And then to make it worse, there was even an officer that would kind of tell the women, like I saw you in the shower earlier. Hello. Hello, sexual harassment panda. Like, not okay. Um, and I, I was even locked up with a chaplain that was found guilty of raping five inmates. His name was Kenneth DeWitt in McPherson Prison in Arkansas. And when that shit came out, these are people I knew, I cooked with, I, I shared the dorm with, um, all women that I thought were so strong and so, and they are so strong and so tough, um, but they are just incredible women that have life. Uh, one of them did get out, but you know, she's the one that came forward. She got deported to Mexico. She was in prison for over 10 years just for weed, for bringing weed across the border. And then, you know, endured that trauma. So, it's a very, it's a very bad thing when you have just men in a women prison. <laughs> I've seen a lot of shit. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Okay. First of all, <laughs> at any point in time, at any point in time, you get a bunch of uniformed, mainly white men to be supervisors of anything, shit's going to go wrong. But you <laughs> add in the factor that it's going to be for a woman's prison. Like who on, who's looking at that, like that, that suggestion was like, no, no, that seems like a legit plan. Yeah, let's go through with this. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure it's it's got to be a job turnout thing. Like my my thought process is there's probably not a lot of women applying. And so they have to resort to hiring men because that it almost seems too insane to be intentional. And if it was intentional, that would really bother me. So it's something that I'm going to do more research on. Because I don't know if women's prisons are like that across the board or if there's areas where maybe, you know, it's you said one out of 10 and you didn't say that earlier. So just now when you said that, I was like, what? One out of 10. That is an insane ratio that should not exist. I mean, I just made that number up just going off of my own personal experience with it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you have to have correctional officers. It's like nursing home. You have to have workers there. You have to have these people. Um, and a lot of times prisons are in the middle of freaking nowhere, you know, so you get what you get, dude. You know, what's crazy to me is like, I, I we had a lot of, uh, like when I was in, when I was in Maricopa, just at the, in the county, like the amount of female DOs that we had there was pretty frightening because all of them had one damn thing to prove that was that they could kick your ass if they had to. I mean, and like, like that, that was terrifying to me because one, you know, legitimately, they probably could. And two, everyone's gonna see that shit. But, but that's a that's a whole different monster. That's just my ego that's at risk there. You know, for you as a woman in that situation, not to say that you know you're like some elegant flower, but that's got to be a terrifying situation. And I can't even realize. Is that I was a, pretty. Is that I was pretty used to it. Um, I I cannot not say that there were some really good correctional officers that I've met in my life. Yeah. Uh, people that really cared, you know, and those people never lasted. <laughs> they always quit, you know, and that is heartbreaking. So I'm actually friends with a couple of correctional officers that booked me in and, and were over me uh, on Facebook currently. And they cared. They cared so much that they couldn't stay. And that is what is so what's so sad. You'll get those officers and then you get the officers that just stand in a gym, pepper spraying the shit out of everyone because two people are fighting. So.
uh, is there like no middle ground? I mean, come on. Yeah. It's you're either getting the best of the best or the worst, and uh, we got to get we got to get some pops and, and tos on this. Cody said, yeah, and, and that's something that is something we definitely planned on doing too. Because um, Jessica, I know that you've probably you just said you've connected with uh, COs and stuff since you got out, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from both sides because obviously we're gonna have our opinions as people who are all felons who have all been incarcerated we're going to have our own views of the justice system and all of it might not be fair because we don't know exactly what cops and COs have to deal with. And so I know I just saw in our comments here, we have a retired cop who's in our comments and like people like that, I feel like we could really benefit learning from because I just, I want to better understand, you know, because I've dealt with really aggressive cops and COs and I'm not saying that's across the board, but when you deal with so many, it's hard to remember that there are good people out there doing these jobs because they wanted to make a difference. And so I want to understand why some people tend to, I don't know, like abuse that power. You're, you're in charge of people's lives. You essentially are, especially someone like me who was struggling with an undiagnosed mental illness and like just coming off of addiction and like, I know, Zach, when you came in, you were really struggling with addiction. And so, like, we were at very vulnerable states. And, I, like, these people do essentially have control over our lives. And I just, at better understanding what they go through, I think, is really important for what we're doing here on the show. Well, I can refer you to some really good people. That'd be good. Because the, the last thing we want to do is, you know, be like a cop hating channel. We want to hate Cody a lot. The reality is like, I'm still friends with the cop that the detectives that worked my case. You know, uh, I've, I had some good CEOs reach out to me and it's a job that needs to be done. It needs to be done properly. And there yep. needs to be an accountability and an enforcement of the standards, but it is a job that needs to be done. So, I mean, I think we should definitely look into getting some people on here from that side. Well, and I want to. I want that to be what makes us unique. Is we're not a one-sided story here. We're sharing everyone's story, and that's going to be addicts and people who have been in jail and people who struggle with mental health, people who have struggled with suicide, depression, addiction. Like, and then we also need to talk about the people who have to interact on a daily basis with people who are mentally ill and struggling with addiction. And you know, it's something that like even we forget about because when I see that a schizophrenic person was killed by a cop because, you know, they didn't know how to react. My first thought is to immediately blame that cop and not their training or, you know, the situation. And that's, it's shitty that we, you know, are no matter what side you're on, you tend to have a leaning opinion to one side. So being able to bring both sides is really, I think the best thing we can do to help everyone better understand each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Everybody hates Cody Estrada. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> is um when when you talk about addiction, how big of a part of your story is that, Jess? Because I know when it comes to me and Zach, we've talked about our addiction a lot. Um, I think Zach definitely visibly from his mugshots and stuff seemed to have struggled with it more than me. That's but crazy. I know. I, 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 I honestly look like you. 
I thought it was a yeah, fake yeah. photoshopped picture when I saw it until I saw the tattoo. And I was so like, my heart broke for you a little bit. And I know I give you a lot of hell, Zach, but honestly, it, it broke. I was so upset when I saw that picture. And so like addiction is a big part of both of our stories. And so um, I know when we talked behind the scenes, you were kind of excited to talk a little more about that as well. Yes. Yeah, so, so what was your what was your choice? I'm I'm curious. You mentioned you mentioned meth, but it was did you also go to the dark side a little bit? Uh my drug of choice was yes. <laughs> um everything. Yes. So I I started with alcohol and at 12 is when I first took my first about alcohol. I was almost 13. Uh, and very quickly after that, I turned 13 and started doing pills. I was actually jumped really badly because I stole cocaine and money from this party and they cracked my ribs and smashed up my face and I was prescribed Oxycontin. And my friends were like, bitch, just crush it up. And I didn't know, I didn't know the long-term effects of that. I didn't know that I would become addicted because people around me could just party. And then they would like went to live their lives. And here I am like fiending for more. So it started very young for me. Um, so my, my drug of choice for a long time was heroin pills and then heroin. And I did that for a long time. I even overdosed, which was really scary, but I was in complete denial that I overdosed. I was in like this really, really gross bar. And the last thing I remember was shooting up in this bathroom. And then I woke up on the sidewalk with like people in my face and paramedics in my face. And it was traumatizing. And I'm like, chill, y'all need to calm down. Like, what is your problem? Like, bitch, you died today. Like, that's our problem, you yeah. know? But I like stumbled off and continued doing what I was doing. Um, and that eventually progressed into a meth addiction when I went to Arkansas and I started using and then eventually selling for the cartel. And I was not just addicted to drugs. I was addicted to the lifestyle and the money. And, and it was just all so unhealthy. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, my rock bottom was because of meth addiction. I was a very, very skinny, very sick person. And I thought I had no soul. I was out of my freaking mind. I have hallucinated. I've had meth psychosis many times, which is so scary. Um, but I thought like, I thought people were outside of this condemned trailer that I was in. And I almost went outside with a Glock and I almost shot people that were not there. Um, so it got very scary and it got very dangerous at the end, you know? So I honestly thought that I, I was just, I was fine. I was going to be fine. I was going to figure it out. I could stop when I wanted to, you know, I'm going to be okay until I realized I wasn't, you know, until I realized that this is just my life now and I can't get out of meth addiction and I don't know who I am and I have no soul. And these are the things that would constantly be reoccurring in my head. And I thought the only way out was to die. Um, so there was one moment where I was very, very high on meth, hadn't slept for days and days. And I thought, you just need to shoot yourself. So this ends like you're in pain, just end it, you know, and I'm sitting there and I loaded my Glock and I tried, I tried to pull the trigger and I couldn't and I was scared and I got up and I walked around and I tried again and I couldn't, you know, and that, that, 
These are the moments that I think we need to talk about because there was no just stop doing drugs. I didn't understand that. There was no just stop, just go to rehab, just get help. You can be in long-term recovery. I didn't even have that vocabulary, you know? So if you're watching and you don't understand how someone can be so addicted, it's because we lose touch with reality and we think there is no way out. We, we're so in pain and we're suffering and we just want it to stop, but we don't know how. It would be like if you, if you held something up to your face, really close to your eyes, you can't tell what it is because it's like in your face, right? That's us in addiction. But if you back that image up, you're like, oh, it's a hand. Okay, cool. But if it's here, I don't know that it's a hand. Well, everyone in addiction has it up to their face and everyone that's not in addiction watching their family members can see the whole hand, you know? And it's like the most frustrating thing because everyone's like, it's a hand. Oh my God. You're like, what is it? <laughs> you know, so addiction is frustrating, not just for the person that is suffering, in active addiction, but for your family members as well. So I'm very, very grateful to have nine years sober. I just celebrated my ninth year. And to think back then that I didn't understand that I could be sober and be happy. That was my biggest thing. Like, I can't be happy in sobriety. I'm I'm fine here. Like, I, I'm getting happy this way. But let's be real. I was fucking miserable. <laughs> so it's just the lie that addiction tells you. And, um, you know, if you're struggling with addiction too, life is so much better once you stop using drugs. And I know Absolutely. that seems like a mountain, you know, it seems like impossible. It looks like the moon to you right now, but um, it absolutely is possible. We are all living proof that sobriety is possible. And there's a lot of different pathways to that, medically assisted treatment, abstinence, marijuana. Um, there's so many different ways, you know, God or 12 steps, or there's just, there's a million different things that you can do. That's a really great point. And thank you, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I mean, one thing that I, that always, always hands down turned me off every time I thought about getting sober was I was like, I don't want to be one of those douchebags at those meetings the court came and go to. Like, yeah. I didn't want to do that. And I didn't do that. That wasn't the route that I, I ended up taking. But I, I, that was really, I, I really, really appreciate you bringing up that there are many different routes of sobriety. And it really doesn't matter as long as it's ending with sobriety. It does not matter how you get there. If you need to go out and do do cosplay for a living, you know, or dress up <laughs> as a furry and have that to pick up your time. That is something I told you in confidence. You pick. <laughs> do that. Just do that. You know, there, there's many different ways of doing this, and it is so much better. I mean, maybe not for Cody. He's the only person that got considered me worse for me. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> no, seriously though, mm -hmm. I, I, and as someone who did get kind of more into the twelve-step programs and. Um, I was really good at pointing that out to people who came to the program and they, they didn't want to be there. And, you know, people get forced by family and friends. They're like, Hey, go to this. If you don't want to be there, it's not going to do you any good. And plenty of people find success in sobriety by using other means. Even it's, even if it's just themselves, I know people who just bet on themselves and made it through. And so I couldn't personally do it. I needed the peer support. I needed the backup. I really did. And there's, I, I don't like how sometimes in the sobriety addiction field, there's, uh, there's some people who think it's one way or no way. And it really bothers me and it makes it really hard for some people to recover. But I also want to talk about how you said addicted to the lifestyle, because I think people forget that addiction isn't just drugs. Um, it's, mm. it's about the entire lifestyle. Once you start doing something, it's not just addiction, it's habit. You're going and 
meeting with the same people every day. And when people tell you they're bad people, you're like, these are my friends. They're the only ones helping me with money and helping me when I get into shitty situations. They're only the only ones putting money on my books, you know, like they're the only ones who you think care about you at the time. And so when you said addicted to the lifestyle, I wanted to just point that out because I felt that on such a core level that I think we need to recognize that addiction is more than just the drug you're using. And it's everything about what you're going through, the people you're talking to and, you know, the lifestyle you're living. I mean, think about, think about it this way. Imagine your entire life, the way that you're living it now, day in and day out, completely has to change or you're not going to survive. How would you respond to that? You know, I mean, for me, I didn't understand living a different life. You know, I, I was a drug dealer and I sold drugs from 13 to 20, whatever, 23, 24 ish. And, um, I, I chased that rush. You know, I knew full well that what I was doing was illegal. Um, I had a little, a little drug empire and I, I don't say that to glorify it. I say that because I was so enthralled in, in the lifestyle itself that I had runners and I wanted to be like, I wanted to be like George Young or like, oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. Pablo, Freeway Rick Ross, uh, big names in the drug world. I wanted my name to be known. And that makes no sense to me now. It seems like a bad dream. It's the most flawed, irresponsible, immature thinking. But I was just that. I was immature and flawed. And, you know, I grew up in Section 8 housing. I grew up really poor. Not to make excuses, because I always take responsibility for my actions. But just the idea of having bands in my pocket, that is what made me chase selling drugs. You know, I thought being poor was the worst thing you could ever be. Turns out uh, being an addict is the worst thing because that is very, very difficult to beat, you know, and I, I've, I've built a whole a whole life outside of that world and I'm so much happier now. I still struggle with depression and anxiety and insomnia and PTSD. So it's not perfect. No life is. But not being, you know, um, not being controlled by a substance or a lifestyle or shitty people that didn't care about you. They just cared about what you had for them. And having meaningful relationships outside of that world is so amazing. And I'm so beyond grateful for it. Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah, that's, it's so weird that uh, the, the, the easier part for me was cutting the drugs out because I pretty much took, took care of that while I was locked up. And then I've, I've shared this before, but when I got released, my immediate plan was to go back to my neighborhood, go back to my boss and get right back into what I was doing. And nobody was alive yet. Nobody was left. Every, every one of these guys that were like, these are my homies, you know, like we've been through shit. I've been locked up with them. I, I have been through some real shit with them, man. And getting back to that block and realizing that ain't nobody left living. That for me was like, I'll, I'll straight up say it. I, I cried. I cried for a long time over that. And I still have these weird feelings of guilt about it sometimes. Like I'll, I'll just catch myself thinking, about I mean God oh I just got me uh, the other day there was a kid who was you know like maybe twenty who I loved dearly and I thought I thought we were gonna be friends you know after I got out like uh, blah blah and just the toxicity of that lifestyle and it's so weird to think that was what I wanted to go back to that's that's what I wanted to keep doing it's it's an insanity that I can't fathom or wrap my mind around now and I'm glad for that. But I realized at one point in time, that was my career goal. That was legitimately my career goal. So yeah. 
Well, and like you both said, once you're in that lifestyle, you do anything to convince yourself that that's what you want and that that's the best choice and that, you know, you can be successful, even though everyone else who does it ends up dead or in prison. Like you're going to be the one person who figures out the system. And I think we oh, all those people, those people didn't do it right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. We we all think that. And even when you get to jail and prison, you hear people keep that conversation up like it's true. Like, oh, next time I get out, I'm going to know everything I got to do differently. Meanwhile, I would say like 30 percent of us, according to the recidivism rate, are more like, well, fuck that. I'm going to do anything I can to not return to that, you know. My prison, like, life at the end, I was so, like, introverted. I'm going to chill on my rack. Don't come near me. Like, I don't want to talk about a meth recipe. I'm good. You know, y'all can go talk about that over there. Far away from me is where you can take that bullshit. And I was so dedicated to learning everything about psychology and addiction and how to stay sober and how to be a mom. And I couldn't even make, like, spaghetti when I got out. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, so hopefully this kid likes Chinese takeout because I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like... (laughs) oh wait, Chinese takeout every night is expensive as shit. So I need to learn how to cook something because I was dead broke. Um, But yeah, I I needed to stay away from those negative people. And a woman that I was a celly with, she had capital murder. And, you know, she was a very, very strong, very distant person. She did not want me near her. She did not want me in her cell. She had her own rules and we didn't get along at first. But at the end, she opened up to me like the last like 30 days or so we started to get close and she told me her story. And for some reason, I never related more to a person. She looked at me and she's like, this is super random, but she's like, little girl, you are one mistake away from spending the rest of your life in this prison cell with me. You want to go back out there and sell dope and run around like a thug? I'll see you in six months, you know, and it just hit me. She was in there for a drug deal gone bad. She lived the same life I lived. And she's not getting out of prison, you know, so all of the classes and the the people and everything that I've been to, all the church sessions, all the NA meetings I had gone to, none of it affected me more than what she said to me, you know, and every year I send her a Christmas card and every year she ignores me. But I know that when she sees it, she's happy and she's she's excited that I'm not there with her. And that means a lot to her, you know, so. I know a lot of people hear lifer and they hear capital murder and they think that's the worst person ever. Um, but I'll tell you right now, lifers in prison um, are trying to keep people out of prison and they've dedicated their lives, some of them, not all of them, to trying to help people when they can, you know, and that conversation will stay with me for the rest of my life. So we are boiling down to our last couple minutes here. And what we usually do is if you're comfortable with it, we take a few questions from some of the people who are watching live. So um, I have seen some questions going through here. So if anyone has any, they would like um, to ask Jess here while we still have her. We're going to run a couple minutes over today, but that's okay. We had some really good conversation today. So it's almost my bedtime. It's almost oh, your do you still go to bed early? Do you still go I'm, to bed early too? I am so I'm an old soul. So I want to go to bed at like nine. You yeah. know? So I actually since I'm waiting for question questions to roll in here. Me, Zach, and Colin were talking about this. How hard was it for you to sleep on a normal bed when you got out? Were you one of the people who jumped right into a big soft comfy bed, or did it take you a while to adjust? Uh, so that's funny. That's a good question. I was, uh, released to a halfway house last time and I was on a twin bed. It was so uncomfortable with like the, what are the, what are they called? The metal in the bed? 
uh, the springs. springs. Yeah. Uh, I was more, I'm like, you know what? Just take me back to prison. Fuck it. It was so <laughs> painful. Um, and it was actually freezing in the halfway house my first night. And when I woke up, I told one of the girls like, oh my God, it's so cold. And she's like, the thermostat is outside your door. And I'm like, thermostat, right. Cause we're not in prison. Shit. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> like I totally forgot I could do that. I could change the temperature of the house. For sure. Um, so yeah, I am waiting for some questions rolling here. Um, here's one. It says, when you get out of prison, are you allowed to visit people you were in with? That's a great question. No, you're not. Unless it's your family, your dad, your very close, close family. So uh, mom, dad, child. <laughs> so I cannot I, visit. I get, that, I get that question. All the, I get that question every day on TikTok. Why don't you ever go back and visit boys? Like, motherfucker, if I could, I would. You know, I'm like, a convicted even... drug dealer. They're not letting me through that door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Jesus Christ. Especially with Zach's stories, because you do talk so much about the people you were in with, and, you know, like, people have really connected you to them, and so that's probably why they ask, and I, that's why I thought that would be a good question to bring up here. Um, so here's one. How do you get over the urges of using again? As people who are all on several years of sobriety um what's your tactic for this me first yeah um urges my mom used to ask me that in a really weird way she's like don't you have urges and i'm like bah, bah, bah. um so for me um Honestly, my mental health is my biggest trigger. So depression is really difficult for me. When I'm feeling really depressed, that is my trigger. Um, so I just have a really good support system. I don't fiend for drugs like I used to. That has faded um, at first. Oh, my God. I was calling bondsmans when I had no bond. You know what I mean? Like just desperate to get out to use. And I would fiend for it. I'd have really bad nightmares, really bad dreams, um, which I still occasionally have. But just to keep it really simple... Um, I have to keep my mental health in check. And when I'm feeling that bad, I reach out to my support team and I tell them like, I need to take a day off. I need this. I need that. And, you know, they're very accommodating to, um, to whatever will make me feel better. And I'm so grateful for that. So having good people in your corner is really important. I would say. For, uh, for me, I mean, nobody likes my answer, but I'm just going to give them the honest answer. For me, it was a transferal. Uh, I left. I left the shooting gallery, drug addict, and went to the gym. You know, I, like that's li that's literally what I did. I have had days where I will call up one of my workout buddies who I was locked up with, and I say, like, homie, I feel like using. Can we hit chest today? And that sounds ridiculous. It sounds. It's not ridiculous. ridiculous. I, I know. I know you know that, but like trying to explain that to other people, like you're an idiot. But, like, no, really. Like there have been times, and I'm not perfect by any means, but. Every time I made the phone call to, you know, someone I worked out with, especially the one I was locked up with and said, like, man, I need to go hit this. I need to go get this, get my mind off it. About 10, 15 minutes into that, that's my new addiction. That's what I do now. And I'm not going to, it sounds lame, but I'm not going to sacrifice my gains for a high. You know, like, <laughs> that's just, that's, that's just where it's at for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I kind of relate to that too. I made a whole TikTok about it. It's up to like 40,000 likes now, but it was all about how, you know, I was addicted to drugs and I went to drinking, I went to smoking, I went to vaping and now I get tattoos and drink caffeine, but it's always been something. And yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, I feel like as an addict, um, one of the things I did was I didn't like how a lot of addicts say you can't be around it ever. Um, I actually, for the first two years of my sobriety, 
had drugs in my safe just to know that I was strong enough not to take them. And that's a dangerous thing to do. I don't recommend that, but it was what I personally needed to prove to myself that even in the wrong situation, I could be better than using. And, and like, I still think about it. I don't know about you guys. You said the cravings for you have kind of gone away. Um, I probably talk about doing Coke every other week. Um, but like, I, it's, it's something that like I actively work on and that I actively recognize as an issue. And I do recognize that transferring my addiction to smaller, less objectively, less destructive addictions is still an issue. You know, that's really interesting that you said that you used to keep it like in a safe. So I have, I've quit using drugs from, you know, the 10 years that I was doing it so many times, like two dozen times probably, but I would always keep a fresh rig near me because I'm like, I quit, but I, just in case it's fine. You know, I don't need it. I'm, I'm have it under control. Here it is in my drawer and I don't need it. And I would be sober for a month, maybe two, and then relapse again and again and again. That's so, that's so interesting. I wonder if a lot of addicts do that. <laughs> See, and it's something that like, as someone who was a recovery coach <laughs> and um, like, I wasn't allowed to say that people don't like hearing that in the recovery and like in the recovery um, culture, they don't like hearing that. And it's something I don't say out loud a lot, but it's it really was the thing that made me realize I was bigger than the addiction. Because like you can go to meetings all day and you can hear stories and you can go through traumatizing events, but I wanted to prove to myself that just because I was around someone doing something, I wasn't going to just join in. And that's what I did. And it's definitely not conventional. But it worked for me, and I think we need to be better at recognizing that everyone's going to have their own way of sobriety. Whether you agree or disagree, you know, we're all different. We all we all think differently. We have different brain chemistry, different mental, mental health issues. You know, we're all different. So why do we think that one path is going to be good for everyone when our brains are completely hardwired differently? Okay. I just yeah, want to yeah. point this out. I just, I just want to say this. Had I have done that, I just would have gone straight for the jugular the second I had that urge. So, I mean, we're definitely different people, but I'm glad it worked for you. No. And that's, I mean, consistently, that's what I hear from people in the recovery culture. And that's why I don't say that a lot because it probably wasn't the best practice, but it, it was what I personally needed. And I don't know if it's because I have a serious mental illness and I can't control that. I wanted to prove that I could control this one aspect of my life. Because day to day being a schizophrenic, I control very little of my life. I don't know what's real, what's not, who's real, who's not. So I wanted to be able to control this one aspect. And I don't know, that made me cope better with not only addiction, but my mental health. And like I said, I do not suggest that. If you're watching this video or listening to this podcast, I'm not saying I suggest that. I'm saying that's what worked for me. And I just want to expose the idea that we can all find different ways to recover. That's really interesting. But yeah, we really appreciate having you. This, I know I love Colin. I love Team TriPi. This might be one of the best conversations we've had since we started this podcast. What do you think, Zach? Okay, first of all, you love Colin. <laughs> you love Colin. I do. I love Colin. He's okay. a good dude. No, this was this was awesome. I mean, you brought a lot to the table. We got to talk about some really good issues. Cody, you talked a very minimal amount, which is always the key to a good show. Um, Poor Cody. I, mean, I would have <laughs> He deserves it. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. 
thank you for being as open and bold as you are with your content. I know that I personally appreciate it. I know a lot of people out there who watch the show are going to appreciate it. So I hope, I mean, are you open to coming back? To put you on the spot. Would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Cool. That's amazing. You made such a big impact that you complimented me for like 30 seconds and he still offered to bring you back. I just want everyone to remember this moment. We're definitely going to do some prep work about what we don't say on the air. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There, there it is. All right. Well, that's probably the perfect place to leave off today. Thank you guys so much for joining us and being a part of the Criminally Mental podcast. Don't forget to check out our new merch and make sure you check us out on Spotify and Apple Music. We're up to over 125 ratings on Apple Music and we are still at five stars. I'm going to be featuring some of the amazing reviews people have been leaving. Um, and we just really appreciate you guys so much. Be sure to check out our merch and all of our podcast links. And we look forward to having you guys back here next Monday. Thank you guys so much. Good night, guys. So I can take these off now. Oh, my God.